0: The century, 21st. You're sitting with your best friends outside of a gay club. You're gossiping and having a breather before you go back inside. You spend a lot of time with your gay friends and you started using words like sleigh, shade, work, sis, and realness. You love to watch RuPaul's Drag Race and you attempt to Vogue when you've had a bit too much, as you have tonight. And you feel like you're an ally because you're trying to normalize these things that were once part of a lesser known queer culture. The problem with blind normalization is that the roots of a culture often get lost to time. Do you know who coined any of these terms? Do you know the roots of drag? Allyship means knowing the history of the things that you find trendy and fun. So while you might feel like you're helping the community, it's important that you see our culture as being more than just a trend. But worry not. As you head back inside the club, we're gonna turn back time as the iconic queen of Twitter, Cher, would say. So we can take a look at who we should really be attributing this popularized culture to and why it's problematic to participate and not know the herstory. So sit back, relax, and get into it. The year is 1960, you're in Harlem, New York, and you step out of a cab onto a windy street. You're wearing a large coat and carrying a bag full of campy clothes you've been working on for the next ball and i'm not talking about the type of ball in like expensive rooms with like black suits and princess dresses i'm talking about something that, believe it or not is a lot more fabulous than that in fact it may be the root of all fabulousness a culture bubbled up in revolt to what were called drag balls that so originally started happening around the 1920s mainly white men will participate and black queens were expected to lighten their face when they did Oftentimes they'd be judged unfairly anyways. In response to that, a queer black ball community was established and the foundation for a rich culture began. Queens came together to create houses or families, including, but not limited to, the House of La Beja, the House of Dupree, the House of Amazon, and the House of Extravaganza. These houses were oftentimes run by a house mother or a house father, and they competed in ballroom competitions against one another. You're probably wondering what a ballroom competition even is. These competitions had what they called categories. You had to come out and serve your looks with confidence to the judges. These categories included but weren't limited to butch queen realness, the ability to blend with male heterosexuals, runway, where you were judged on your ability to walk like a model, face, which was about who had the most classically beautiful face, and body, which was all about body structure. Of course, these weren't the only categories, they were just some more classic ones. Anything was fair game. You just had to come out in your best outfits and serve it to the judges to make them believe. More often than not, these competitions were about parodying heterosexuality or flaunting your femininity and being able to do it well. The competitions could last like eight or nine hours with a dozen categories, You'd be competing for a trophy, and sometimes a grand prize winner could win, like, a thousand dollars. And while the competition was really intriguing and fun to see take place, what was really driving them were the houses and the queens that used to compete. To understand why ballroom is so important and integral to queer culture, first you need to understand what the queer experience looks like, and what these houses' real purpose was. I'd like you to meet somebody who might be able to paint a better
1: picture for you.
2: say that we're sick, we're crazy and some of them think that we are the most gorgeous special things on earth. I would like to be a spoiled rich white girl. (laughs) They get what they want whenever they want it and they don't have to really struggle with finances and nice things and nice clothes and they don't have to have that as a problem. I don't feel that there's anything mannish about me except maybe what I might have between me down there, (laughs) which is my little personal thing, so... I guess that's why I want my sex change, to make myself complete. I was about 13, 14 years old, and I used to do it behind my family's back, just dressing up till finally they caught on with it, and I didn't want to embarrass them, so that's when I moved away. I moved to New York, and I continue doing it.
0: That was Venus Extravaganza from the House of Extravaganza. The clip was from the movie Paris is Burning. It's no secret that queer people are marginalized. Having to leave home or being kicked out of your home is something that's not uncommon growing up as a queer person. In the 21st century, we use the term bullying a lot to describe that of what a queer person goes through. But I think that term has kind of set us back by equating the queer experience to like a heterosexual person getting made fun of in high school because they have glasses or braces. Queer people don't get bullied. Queer people get kicked out of their homes and become homeless. Queer people are verbally, physically, and sexually abused. Queer people are raped. Queer people are sterilized. Queer people are killed. Queer people can't travel to certain countries and queer people are not afforded the health care that they really need by law simply because they identify differently than other people. Queer people have to live in constant fear for simply walking down the street because historically, straight men can't control their urge to project their insecurities onto queer people and then cause violence because of who they are. So in the case of Venus, I think maybe leaving home was understated. For most queer people, the reality of our coming to age story is a lot more messy.
2: They saw me. And they all liked me, all the rest of the extravaganzas. And they decided, well, if you want to become an extravaganza, you have to walk a ball first. And if you snatch a trophy, then you become the extravaganza. That's how it's supposed to work with everyone. But uh, like that, it wasn't with me. I just became an extravaganza. Hector extravaganza, he's the one who started the house. He was the first gay man i ever met the first time he took me to the village which was my birthday i had just turned 15 years old and he threw a party for me out there he bought me a cake i met a lot of drag queens transvestites that i didn't believe were because they were so beautiful and that kind of sunk into my head and i guess that's why it kind of made me want to even do it more
0: The houses that competed in the ballroom competitions were not just for competition and dance. The fathers and mothers of these houses provided shelter, resources, and protection for the members of the house who wouldn't have it otherwise. It was illegal to be queer. It was illegal to masquerade as another gender. It was illegal to employ queer people. And it was also illegal to provide a service to queer people. A lot of these queens were kicked out of their homes or they had to flee because they were worried about being subjected to some form of abuse. Or perhaps they already had been and that's why they left. This was not uncommon for a queer person. On top of that, the Civil Rights Act wasn't signed until 1964. Queer people of color were segregated legally prior to that. And after that, it was a long road to equality that we'd still barely reach the end of. While a bill was signed, racism was still rampant in North America, so getting a job as a queer person of color was nearly impossible. Even if you could blend in to a straight cisgender society, most of these queens relied on one another to survive in New York, and the houses always tried to provide. By the beginning of the 20th century, dressing as another gender was considered a sickness and a public offense. This particular law that police used to arrest people during police raids and on the street side was made law in 1845. This law was originally intended to punish rural farmers who had taken to dressing like Native Americans to fight off tax collectors. The law stated that it was a crime to have your face painted discolored or concealed or to otherwise be disguised in public. So there was like a ton of laws used to punish gender variants, and it always led to the arrest of like drag queens and transgender identifying individuals for transgender individuals. It made it particularly difficult simply existing in society. It was basically a crime for them during this time. These laws still exist to this day, but they're not practiced anymore. For transgender people, the arrests during raids started to dry up around, you know, the Stonewall Riots. Economically, there were little to no options for these individuals. Therefore, these ball houses would take the men and provide shelter, protection, and family for them when nobody else would. These individuals would compete in ball competitions in hopes that they would win money to put towards their gender-affirming surgeries. But more often than not, these folks needed a source of income that was more regular and stable, so they were forced into finding other means to providing for themselves.
2: The thing that helped me make my most money through the ESCO service is being that I'm so little, I'm so petite, I'm tiny. Um, The blonde hair and the light skin, the green eyes and the little features. The client's hands will be bigger than my hands. While they would hold my hand or something, you know, they like feeling that they were something perfect and little and not someone that's bigger than them. Because I guess that kind of disturbs them.
0: Acceptance in the 21st century about sex work is slowly moving along, but there's a lot of pushback from those who project their insecurities on sex workers in the same way that straight men project their insecurities on feminine men and target them as a means to make them feel more secure about their own masculinities. Except when it comes to sex workers, people are targeting them because they have insecurities about their sexuality. The fight for LGBTQ rights was and still is a fight that goes hand in hand with the fight for sex workers' rights. Both movements insist that the police or others have no involvement in telling consenting adults how to use their bodies. Both movements demand the government stays out of marginalized people's bedrooms, and due to the limited economic options available to homeless queer people because of the discrimination of the general public, a lot of homeless LGBTQ people sell sex, as did Venus. Sex workers are and forever will be a part of the LGBTQ community, because they are the LGBTQ community. It's important that in the 21st century that we don't forget just because companies and retail stores tokenize LGBTQ people, just 50 years ago, those same companies and stores would shun you, as would your family. It's important that we as a community do not turn our nose down at sex work, but push for its legalization. Legalization of sex work would make it safer and easier and more fair for those who are in that field. Not only that, but it's only fair that we fight alongside the same people that fought with us to successfully move our rights along.
1: I always you to tell her, her, Venus, you take too many chances, you're too wild with people in the streets, something is going to happen to you, but that was Venus. She always took a chance, she always went into a stranger's cars, she always did what she wanted, to get what she wanted. I had a booking for a Christmas show at Sally's and the DTs came to me with a picture of her murdered and they were about to cremate her because nobody had came to um, verify the body and I was the one that had to give all this information down to her family. Actually, they found her dead after four days, strangled under a bed in a sleazy hotel in New York City.
2: I'm hungry.
1: We used to get dressed together, call each other and say what we were going to wear and You know, she was like my right hand, as far as I'm concerned. I miss her. Every time I go anywhere, I miss her. That was my main, the main daughter of my house, in other words. But that's part of life, as far as being a transsexual in New York City and surviving.
0: On Christmas Day in 1988, Venus was found strangled under a bed at the Duchess Hotel in New York. It was estimated that our body had been there for four days upon discovery. Fatal violence against transgender in the gender non-conforming community is and always has been unprecedented. The only way to combat this is to push our local governments to provide the same rights and protections to transgender folks as they do to every other citizen. It's also super important that we do our part by educating ourselves and engaging in discourse with others in order to normalize people who are not cisgender. This shouldn't be the fate of anybody, no matter what your gender expression is, your sexuality is, or your job is. Alongside of pushing for legislation, it's integral that we continue to use our voices as queer people to elevate this conversation to a larger audience.
2: I want a car. I want to be with the man I love. I want a nice home away from New York, up the peak skills, or maybe in Florida, or somewhere far where no one knows me. I want my sex change, I want to get married in church in white, I want to be a complete woman and I want to be a professional model behind cameras in a high fashion world, I want this, this is what I want and I'm going to go for it.
0: Ballroom culture has filled many roles for many different queer people over the years. As previously discussed, queer people from all over face verbal, physical, and sexual abuse. They deal with rapists, murderers, and in their lifetime are more likely to deal with one or many of those things due to how they present and who they are. Ballroom allowed for generations of queer folks to enter a room where they find nothing but acceptance and understanding, a place where they can feel the same level of comfort that heterosexual people feel daily. It's a place where your gender is not scrutinized and where you weren't segregated. Your looks were celebrated and it was a place where you could ultimately let your guard down and feel like a normal human person. Queer people often have the way that they hold themselves or the way that they look scrutinized. Dressing up and satirizing different categories of heterosexual people was probably a release because it was like a way to revolt against the norms that they pressure onto us. And drag in its modern form is literally exactly the same thing. Um, for some people, Wallroom was an opportunity to dress up as the person they really were. Uh, and being seen in a room of people where they weren't being looked down upon was very validating. And I can only imagine that it was. Uh, it was, at the time, one of the only places where queer folks were truly safe and could truly be themselves free from segregation or discrimination. And you know, while it was a competition and everybody was competing to have the best look, it was still an open and very free place to be who you were, um, completely fuck oh uh, I thought I turned my phone off but um, (laughs) this is kind of awkward I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get that hello hello oh my god Luke oh my god Jesse I did not expect you to be calling me
3: Thanks for thanks for having me on your, your little podcast. Oh my god, you're
0: so welcome.
3: Oh my god. Happy Pride Month.
0: Happy Pride Month, I guess. Pride, even,
3: it's like almost over, but you know, happy Pride Month.
0: I mean, on Monday it is the anniversary of Stonewall.
3: Is that Monday? That's Monday.
0: Oh the my god, 20th. amazing. Wait, yeah, that's yes,
3: that's it tomorrow. It is. I was at the Stonewall thing a couple of years ago, so. Oh my god, that's so
0: fun. I've never been. (laughs) I feel like I should go. (laughs) I don't know if fun would describe it, but uh, I wanted to ask you a few questions um, about Mm. your life, about who you are, about your gay experience. Okay, so for the people that don't know you, and there's Mm. quite a few, (laughs) Mm -hmm. what is your full name, where are you from, and where do you live?
3: Um, I'm not comfortable answering all of those questions, but <laughs> 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 um, my name is Luke Hutchie. Um, I am born, I was born in Niagara Falls, Canada, and yeah, love that! Wow,
0: what was it like being born in Niagara Falls? Oh, is this like an interview
3: about my life? Yeah, it's about you, baby. You're the gay. Um, it's pride You love. know, it's it's dirty. It's ghetto. It's scary. It's gross. Um, I could not wait to leave, and that's exactly what I did. And, you know, we love water falling off a cliff. <laughs> um, Marilyn Monroe shot a movie there in Niagara, which is, like, the only, like, saving factor about that city. And other than that, yeah. Um, so what do you identify as? Like...
0: It's Pride Month. Let us know. Yeah, Scream it it's from Pride the rooftops. Month. Be proud. Um,
3: I I identify as a gay person. Um, I identify as on the spectrum of non-binary. Um, I don't really care. And this is my own personal um, like, self-identification. I don't really care about the pronouns. Like, you can call me whatever you want. Um, just don't call me sir. I just hate when people. <laughs> call me that. Um. But I identify as a gay person who would fall under the spectrum of non-binary. That's beautiful.
0: And and how did you come to that realization? Is that like a long-term thing? Is that something you knew when you were like very young? Um, how, what was your journey like I mean, to get there?
3: Um, you know, I think that you know everything kind of just everyone's childhood plays itself out. To quote Marilyn Monroe, and um. I, I, and the same as you, grew up in the time of MySpace, um, you know, and so the first, um, and I think about this earlier, too, the first ever actual internet celebrity, the first influencer, and you can feel free to fight me on this, was Chris Crocker.
0: I'm not going to fight you He was you the that.
3: first, he was the first internet celebrity. He was the first person that was taken off of the internet and thrown into, like, a mainstream sort of light. And so growing up, you know, with Chris Crocker and then it turns into, you know, the now canceled Jeffree Star um, <laughs> and the whole MySpace era that was a lot of focused on androgyny and, you know, Michael James and um, androgenetics really um, paved the way for the influencer. Yeah. In the day. And I think and then. Yeah. And so, you know, in the most developmental years of my life, that was the people that I related to the most. Um, and obviously, with my own gender expression from the ages of thirteen to nineteen um i i never really felt like I was anything like i didn 't feel like I was a boy i, I didn 't feel like I was a girl i didn 't feel like I was a man didn 't feel like I was a woman I was like some days i'm extra manly sometimes i 'm extra girly some days i 'm nothing you know i'm, I'm I, I I literally am not a binary of anything i i don't f- feel that i i um, associate with myself With any type of binary As far as societal definitions go So um, I think I just realized it over time That's beautiful So since it's Pride Month
0: I want to know like What does Pride mean to you? Like is it And I know it's a very cheesy question But like Pride itself Like Outside of the parade And outside of the events At like gay clubs and stuff Like what does it like Mean to you That it's a month Dedicated to you? As a person
3: I don't Well that's the thing I don't I wouldn't say I view it as a month Dedicated to me Okay um, I think Pride Is I mean there's a there's a million ways to look at it and everyone's to have how a different do you answer, look at but it? How do you look at it? I look at <laughs> I think pride pride is a time to celebrate what has happened for me to be able to celebrate. Okay. Um and within that I you know I pay homage in my own life or like Instagram or like um anything I can like and this is I know that it's different for everyone but um you know for the trans girls for the pop girls for everyone who has fought for me before I knew how to fight for myself. Mm-hmm. That is who I associate pride with And I, you know, take time to like Appreciate those people more And everybody who's ever inspired me And although it's like to be proud And who you are, but it's I'm, I'm very, um like I, I, I like to think more externally Than internally And so I'm more just think about How grateful I am and proud of the people Um, mm-hmm. So you feel like it's more of a time To like lift others up that need
0: lifting Than, you know, to celebrate Like your own self yeah, I think like pride is about a, like, being proud of like... who
3: you are and being proud of what makes you you. But those yeah. things make me me. So I was, you know, I'm proud of the people who have helped shape me. And that's that.
0: I love that. No, I kind of feel the same way. Like, it's not that I don't have anything to celebrate anymore because I do. And I'm very proud of, like, you know, the leaps and bounds I make every year with, like, my own identity. But when it's pride, I want to, like, talk more about things that people don't know about in regarding like the gay culture like there's there's so much going on with like laws surrounding transgender people in the United States right now that yeah. people aren't talking about enough and I feel like for me personally it's more important for me to elevate that conversation than it is to center it around me and like for other people I guess you know they they do want to do that because they
3: need their moment to do that but
0: yeah, personally it's more for me to celebrate others who need celebrating i guess yeah
3: and i i agree with that to a lot of it because Mm -hmm. i mean i i don't know i'm not like i don't know everything so it's hard for me to like try to sit and comment on a lot of things but i definitely feel now being older like i know things i feel that are more important obviously trans rights and trans movement and that is you know i will never understand what it's like to be transgender um but what i do know is i will Always fight for equality, and I always fight for those like for the trans community. And um, I know what it's like to try to be like um, excommunicated from society. So yeah, but you know, no one should ever be shamed of who they are, or what what, like how they want to live their life. Like you know, just do you. And if you're not hurting anybody, who fucking cares? But um, mm-hmm. I do really think that it is also is important um, to bring awareness to. Sexual fluidity and bisexuality, and it's something I talked about earlier. Is like I don't feel like, and I don't know why, but I feel like it's not valid. Like I don't like, especially like you know, with everyone I've ever dated. It's like if there was just a more normal stance of gender or or sexual fluidity or bisexuality or like, it. I feel like everything is just so wrapped up in like it's left or it's right, and that would I can't imagine like if you didn't have the like the mental identity of a, like like a queer lifestyle or or had any way to understand it from the outside then trying to go from just being like oh i'm sexually confused to be like oh that means i have to be gay and now i'm gonna repress it for 10 years like that i feel like is not good and not something that i feel like people need to see more of whether it's bisexual representation or just like who fucking cares representation like if you're yeah. happy, you're happy. You're like, do what you gotta do. And I feel like that just gets swept under the rug a lot, which causes a lot of mental health health issues for a lot of mostly men. um And then I have to deal with that. Like, fuck, <laughs> woe is me? But no, I do think it's really important. I do think that mental health is not something that is as stressed as it is. And I feel like people like to, you know, paint mental health as its own thing, which mental health is really important once you start taking care of it. But like, what, like why do we need mental health support? You know, there's the issues that bring us there. Let's work our way backwards now. It's like, you yeah know, normalizing these things. Well, you were saying
0: it's like, it's like really like political. Like it's, it's very like left or right. And they, they force people to identify as like a specific thing. And while it's important to sort of, you know, identify in a place where you can say like, this is, this is me uh we've also been like forced into boxes which is something that i feel like we've mm-hmm. been trying to fight our way out of for a really long time
3: yeah and you non. Know, sorry to cut you off but not to quote no, okay. Nicki minaj <laughs> in this time but um in her song fly future rihanna when she goes everybody or everybody want to try to box me in suffocating every time they crop me in or no Everybody want to try to box me in. Paint their own pictures and they crop me in. But I remain where the top begins. I am not a word. I am not a line. I am not a girl who could ever be defined. I am not fly. I am levitation. I represent an entire generation. And I'm like, yeah. Like, that last come up of the 10 years, you know what I mean? Like, we are representing hundreds of years of people getting hate crime and shit. Like, the fact that now it's, like, people kind of... Even though it's still not as you know liberated as it could be but it's like we are almost making up for lost time and like destroying Mm -hmm. these things that were meant to keep us away the boxes as you said um so sorry i just had to bring nikki into that
0: no it's okay it's okay i love nikki uh which actually no i want to comment on that again because like the, the the boxes thing really fucking pisses me off because you know and even in my culture like being two-spirit it's like a thing where you are kind of in between like genders and you're like in between sexuality and you don't have to define it and before you know colonizers arrived in canada everyone could be not the colonizers
1: (laughs) and not the colonizers (laughs) it was so okay to be like
0: any any gender identity and any sexuality and like you didn't have to define it and come out and say anything about it so like literally white people brought homophobia and transphobia to Canada <laughs> because prior to that and I mean I'm sure there was definitely like you know white some people sort of ruin discrimination. everything I want to know what you think about pride in its current state like do you feel like there are any ways that we could make pride more diverse and inclusive because I feel like right now there's like this huge hot topic about like kink shaming and pride and I feel like That's something that I really like to dig into with people. Like do you feel like pride could be more inclusive and diverse than it is right now, or do you feel like there's anything that we could do to I think
3: pride is about being proud of who you are and I think shaming anyone for being who they are is the opposite of pride. If somebody wants to go to gay pride to, you know, celebrate the fact that they are now keep in mind, same sex marriage was only legalized, what, six years ago in the US? Yeah. Um, if they're they're proud now that they can have kinky sex with their partner legally Mm -hmm. and get married and live together Um, let them fucking do that who cares what they do behind closed doors if someone wants to walk around in a fucking jockstrap and you know (laughs) hang out and have a drink and just dance to Lady Gaga and go home not you calling
0: straps kinky (laughs)
3: Wear whatever you want to wear I'm dead. You know? I'm dead I don't care I'm dead Put the a kink ball community, gag in your mouth No you heard it Put a ball here
0: gag first. in your mouth And <laughs> hang out Who fucking you cares You heard it here first The kid community
3: Walks around in jockstraps And listens to Lady Gaga I love Walk that Walk around Yeah that's the definition Put it in the dictionary <laughs> um, No but you know what I mean Like Pride is about celebrating Who you are And what For makes sure. you who you are And that's the If you are going to a pride event To ridicule or judge someone That is the opposite Of the whole thing tea like that's like the, like what's the pejorative of like pride it's judgment and ridicule like i don't just... believe in
0: infighting like i think like the community like fighting amongst ourselves about like what's wrong and what's right and what we shouldn't be doing and what we should be doing like there's no point of it like that's exactly what we should not be doing and it's yeah, the problem like silly. you know like where there's grinder and there's people being like racist on grinder like all of this oh, I stuff can't. is I can't stuff that Grindr we should people. know better about. I know, it's gross. But
3: Grindr is brutal because Grindr is like the fucking... It's like the empty profiles with no pictures. And it's like, no fat, no fans, no black. And I'm like, girl, you can't even post a picture of yourself. And you're out here like... I, you are... F- this is crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah. not you being racist in the closet. Well, I just... I feel like there's also like a...
0: I mean, there's plenty of generations of people that have come up without, like, being oppressed that are also gay. Do you feel like the corporatization of Pride is a good thing or a bad thing? And tell me your thoughts.
3: Like, for brands and stuff? Like,
0: banks marching in the parade and, like, you know, big companies marching in the parade. Like, fucking Walmart uh, changing their their logo to rainbow colors and then changing it back. Like, do you feel like... Yeah, so you mean, like, brands... Uh, no, I mean like ban- yeah, I guess yeah. I mean like,
3: like 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 when people like um, capitalize off Pride Month and make everything like a both, rainbow. B- both, both like
0: the, the the parades of banks and also like just like the logo switch and switching back. Like, do you feel like that's a good or a
3: bad thing? Um, I think that Twitter user who posted that corporations only change their logos to rainbows in countries where it's legal sums it up. Like, if you're going to make a statement, make the statement. Don't do it as, like, a money grab. And I think it's stupid. But I think it's also, you know, as an LGBTQ person, you kind of figure out who, like, usually has your back most of the time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, I, I American Apparel was a brand that, like, was always for the gays. Although very controversial and was not owned by someone who was very nice. But, like, they were consistently year-round always pushing out the gays. Like... Um, Lush Cosmetics also has, you know, a lot of things that are donated to LGBTQ charities Mm -hmm. throughout the year. And there's things that are consistent. I like that. I agree. Like if it's consistent, it's good.
0: My whole episode today and everything that I've been working on for the last few days has been about like gay history. And I've been like learning about, you know, ballroom culture and and. Uh, what actually a category is and like what's been happening at like Stonewall I found out that nobody actually died at Stonewall who is- <laughs> are you Derek Barry um so I'm curious what I you- will
3: say is though when I when I got to go to Stonewall it's actually really pretty the area in New York Greenwich Village yeah um I was outside, I never got to go in it because there was a humongous line but we were outside and it's like a really pretty area yeah um, I would like to go in there one day but it's like it's not that big it's like a very little like brick it's like a little brick plaster in the middle of, like, a bunch of little stores.
0: Yeah. It's like a... I, I, I saw photos. It's, like, very tiny. Um, how did yeah. you learn your gay history?
3: Like, I was friends with Amanda Lepore on MySpace when I was 13. Like, I don't know how... You were gay history. Yeah. Like, I've just been, like, somehow over the years, just, like, collect Like, it became, like, an eclectic knowledge base of random, like, gay shit that I don't know where it came from. Um, I don't I don't remember learning anything, but I just do i you know? i
0: feel like i'm on the same page like i never learned anything specifically like i didn't read any books i didn't you know i've read articles and stuff since like since i've been older yeah but like
3: there's the harvey milk there's the harvey milk film yeah there was obviously you know i was raised by entertainment and television mm-hmm. and like that's how i was raised hashtag free britney um hashtag but free britney, free britney. um free britney. but <laughs> i was raised by media like Um, Paris is Burning, Brokeback Mountain, um, I think it's called No Mom, I Don't Want to Be a Cheerleader, that lesbian movie. I highly recommend that Um, new series,
0: It's a Sin. Um, it's about, like, the AIDS epidemic. It's, like, very, very good. Very sad. Maybe not a, like, a very happy Angels in America. Angels in America. I'd act in a play. Of Angels in America yeah.
3: yeah I had to kiss A, a straight man Me um Maddie <laughs> and I When we were in acting school Our, no. our acting coach Made me and her Play boyfriends <laughs> And we had to like The scene And it was Oh my god I can't Um But no I learned A lot of things through that Like drag race And things like that Like mm. I feel like That's where tra- Um Prayers for Bobby Like just little things Like that Oh my god Not prayers for Bobby more, Not prayers for Bobby Not prayers for Bobby But um No things like that And then you know And you learn about The Stonewall riots And How they made laws and um, gynophobia and androphobia, which are the medical diagnosis names for someone who's attracted to the same sex, Mm -hmm. male or female, Um, and things like that. You know.
0: Do you feel like gay history is like accessible for a younger generation?
3: I think anything is accessible for anyone at this point. If you own a fucking phone or a computer, you can find out anything in ten seconds. That's so true. That's so true. But I also feel like people need to talk about it more. Like I feel like people
0: don't talk enough about it. Yeah I think that in an
3: education program You should be learning about Stonewall I think that is important I think you should be learning about all equal rights movements As they are important and shape societies today Mm -hmm. Um, But um, Again I'm like I'm not like a qualified gay expert I'm not a qualified gay historian (laughs) I don't know everything But what I do know is that A lot of work came into where we are today And there's a lot more work to be done um, in your experience, how do you go about handling homophobia? I don't know. There's, that's the thing is that it's hard for me in certain situations because I don't surround myself with anybody who thinks that way. Yeah. And, you know, even as a teenager, I was like, I was so scary to the outside world that nobody really fucked with me. Nobody knew what to do with me. I'm sure everybody was calling me like a faggot behind my back. But like nobody ever said anything to my face. Yeah. Um. And so now it's like as an adult you know I don't surround myself with people like that so it's like it's almost like a distant myth sure that it exists sure because it's so removed from my reality mm-hmm. um how I respond to it in general I'm disgusted and I will lose my fucking shit like with you know what i mean like if you see something online the orlando shooting um like pulse like all those things like they like cause like an internal uproar yeah and obviously i wish i always wish there's more that i could do Mm -hmm. um but you know there's there's as far as my own personal experience you know i've been very grateful and lucky
0: i'm glad i mean i i'm so happy that i hear that from like a lot of people that, that they don't experience homophobia and i'm you know, I'm surprised. The only time I experience homophobia is when I talk to you. Oh. Who is an LGBTQ role model that you have? And why is that impor- that person important to you? And you can only pick one. I know
3: there's lots, but... I'm going to say Britney. Yeah. I think Britney Spears, pre-conservatorship, every... She, you know, again, I grew up with entertainment. I grew up in the 2000s. I grew up... I was raised by, like, MTV. I, I was raised by computers and music and network television and that's what I grew up on you know it wasn't till like I was in 8th grade 7th grade that YouTube became a thing Mm -hmm. um and so you know Brittany was always very you know as long as you're happy with who you are that's all that matters and um I think as gay people especially with gay men um because the idea of being feminine and being weak or being um Delicate are associated with being um, like a, a girl, which is derogatory or used mm-hmm. to be, or whatever. Like, you weren't acting like a man, right? And those yeah. qualities made you a faggot or made you gay or whatever it was. Even if you didn't, you know, if you were not old enough to even be aware of it yourself. Yeah. Where, you know, you look at someone like Britney Spears, where. She's the exact opposite. She's a woman, but she's strong. She's aggressive. She's edgy. Mm-hmm. She's outspoken. She kind of teaches you to like and
0: embrace your femininity. She,
3: yeah. Like, you know, you, you, you're a man getting ridiculed for being too much of a girl and you have a girl getting ridiculed for acting too outspoken and like a man. Yeah. And it's like, that's the thing that I feel like gay men love about female pop stars is, you know, women aren't supposed to be sexually, you know, um, promiscuous and do all these things. Otherwise, you're a slut. And I'm like, The pop girls are serving outfits Half naked half the time Doing the most And that's what we love it Because you're doing something That everyone else Doesn't really want you to do In real life Mm -hmm. And you're saying Fuck you I'm gonna do what I want If I want to put a snake Around my neck Which is like hashtag PETA And you know (laughs) Wear a bra And like little shorts And rock the VMA stage Like I'm gonna fucking do that Yeah Yeah no I you know She didn't give a fuck
0: I see that And I mean I think that's why like All the main pop girls Are so inspirational to gays It's just like Own your femininity And they do that Regularly and I mean, like, outside of, like, Gaga, yeah. who was, like,
3: you know. I would argue that main pop girls are more masculine really? than most gay men. You think? Yeah. I mean, like, I think, they, I think IRL. They're, they're just so headstrong. Sure. And I think that's what gay men identify as. That's true. Like, they identify with, like, that I'm constantly, everything I do is a statement. That's true.
0: In what ways do you feel like your identity manifests in your art?
3: I think I'm incapable of not creating things and that doesn't sound like, um, not to sound like annoying or like a pick me girl. <laughs> um, but like, I am emotionally driven with everything I do and music is something that I don't know. It's all, it's all of it. Music is something that I am obsessed with on have of my entire life and it's like, it is truly an outlet. Like. Even when I made a detective meeting, it's like, I processed that breakup while making it. And as soon as that album came out, I realized, okay, I had processed those emotions. Like, you don't realize what you're doing as you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, you're putting... I mean, and that's just for me. Like, I write and compose everything, and it'll start off with one thing, and um, it'll turn into it. But it's, it's like a therapy outlet for me. It just, it comes naturally, and I think being an artist... I don't like the word artist. For some reason, it just sounds so, like, pretentious, mm-hmm. but... But I'm, you I'm are. a creative. I am. I, I. am a creative. I'm someone who constantly creates. I. I. I love the feeling of completing something to its fullest and doing it well. Um, and I continue would like to do that more. But I think without without music, I would not be the person I am today. And without the music I've made, I would be mentally in a very different place. And I feel like that's how I tied that together.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, it, it, it really showcases itself. Like, your music, I feel like I could get to know you through listening to what it is you write. And, you know, you can't say that for everyone. Oh,
3: cop, cop, that, cop that new album real quick. We're doing the album photo shoot at the end of the, um, July. So it'll be coming out um, late August. The EP is called Space Out. Get that.
0: Get it. It'll be good. It'll be amazing. It is going. It's already amazing.
3: First single, you know, we coming out threesome following single, forgetting to forget you. You know, we coming out strong.
0: So I have a speed round. It's a very quick speed round. Uh, okay. So I'm going oh, to please. ask a question or say a word. And you're going to say the first thing that pops in your mind. You have to be fast. Okay. So favorite queer film. Okay.
3: Broke my mountain.
0: <laughs> uh, Pride Anthem.
3: Ashley O on a roll. Best gay bar. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Labby? <laughs> I got drugged. Celebrity husband. <laughs> Little Nas X.
0: Drag race or pose?
3: That's <sighs> not fair. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no more iced coffee or No more Halloween.
3: Damn, damn, double homicide.
0: (laughs) Stars are blind or dancing on my own?
3: Stars are blind by Paris Hilton? Yeah. Paris Hilton over everything.
0: (laughs) Trixie or Katya? Hmm. No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's it. So I want you to tell me what you're working on right now and tell us where to find
3: you on social media. Um... I mean, my name is just Luke Hutchin it's on everything. <laughs> um, you know you know we working on some projects that I legally cannot talk cool. about right now you know what I'm saying you know what they are um, but um, you know we got some we got some things fingers crossed we, we, uh, we've keeping booked and busy out here we got some meetings this week I got a photo shoot tomorrow. Um, we got some things going on but um, definitely the EP um, will be coming out we got some features on there by amazing lgbtq artists um i can't wait for everybody to hear that um and you know i wanted to make music i think i made a breakup album that was pretty cute and i want to make music about falling in love with yourself i as i'm gonna say i only make songs you know about my perspective with men and i'm like what about my perspective with myself is that not important so i'm about to serve it on a motherfucking platter and get ready for that one bianch
0: i'm so ready I cannot wait for your yeah. new album. Well, thank you so much you. for being here. Thank you. And talking about your queerness. Plansette. I also love that. Yes. Thank you, Luke. You can find him at Lukachi on Instagram, Lukachi on Facebook. But anyway, thank you for coming on. Um, and I'll talk Who? to you later.
3: Uh. All right. Bye. Bye.
0: In the 1960s, there weren't that many establishments that welcomed gay people. And if the establishment did, it was run by an organized crime group due to the illicit nature of LGBTQ bars at the time. Police raids were regular, and prior to 1962, all same-sex activity was a criminal offense. Oftentimes you would get arrested for this if a police officer saw fit. And that's why ballroom was such a coveted space for queer people. In everyday life, you would have to blend with everyone or face prosecution. It was commonplace for officers to raid gay bars and bathhouses so they could investigate gay activity and arrest any members of the LGBTQ community engaging in that kind of activity. So basically everyone could get arrested at any time. Just because you were queer and just because you were in a queer space. Some examples of this were the Ariston bathhouse in 1903 in New York. 60 men were detained and 14 were arrested. There was the Baker Street Club in 1918 in San Francisco. The police took over the club, and over a period of 10 days, they locked arriving patrons in a room for aggressive questioning, and they forced them to sign a confession. 31 men were arrested. There was Cooper's Donuts in 1959 in Los Angeles. Police randomly showed up asking for IDs, and there was a violent interaction between police officers and patrons. It was one of the first known pushbacks against police raids. There was also the black cat in Los Angeles in 1967. A dozen people were beaten by the police, and two men were arrested for kissing. A bartender also suffered a ruptured spleen. There was the Dover Hotel in 1969, a gay bathhouse, where witnesses say police dragged a man downstairs in the nude before beating him to death outside the hotel. The police report said he jumped out of a police cruiser on the freeway and it was ruled an excusable homicide by the judge. There was the Pussy Palace in the 2000s in Toronto. Six male police officers descended on an all-female party. They conducted strip searches and tore signs from the wall. Nobody was arrested. There was Tapu in 2003, a gay strip bar in Montreal that was raided and four patrons were arrested for committing indecent acts, while seven staff and 23 dancers were also arrested. The police claim this is because there are reports of older men preying on young dancers. They determined only one dancer was underage, and he got the job with a fake ID. He would turn 18 within weeks. And then there was also Stonewall in 1969, which is the most famous police raid of all. At the time, homosexual acts remained illegal for every state except Illinois. Bars and restaurants could get shut down for having gay employees or serving gay patrons. Stonewall was run by the mafia, who paid corrupt officers to look the other way, but they also blackmailed wealthy gay patrons by threatening to out them. On June 24th, police officers arrested Stonewall employees and confiscated the alcohol. They planned a second raid for the following Friday. And then on June 28th, around 1am on Friday night, Stonewall was packed when eight plainclothes police officers entered the bar. In addition to detaining and arresting the employees again, they also detained drag queens and transgender patrons because they were masquerading as the opposite sex, as they put it. Apparently this was illegal in New York at the time. More NYPD officers arrived on foot and so did three more patrol cars outside. A paddy wagon also came to take the employees, drag queens, and transgender patrons away. While all this chaos was unfolding inside, People were getting released from the bar and joining the crowds of people that started to form outside. It's unclear what really happened this night, but witnesses report that the crowd erupted after the police physically assaulted a woman dressed in masculine attire. It's believed that this woman was Stormé de L'Arvary. People started throwing pennies, followed by bottles. Some of the crowd slashed tires of the police vehicle. Some people say the street kids started the riot, some people say it was Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, but the exact breakdown of who did what still remains unclear as there was no written documentation of this night. The NYPD eventually barricaded themselves into Stonewall. Eyewitnesses say the crowd used a parking meter as a battering ram to break through the door. More police officers arrived and the police from Gear showed up. Finally, around 4 a.m., things settled down, and amazingly, nobody died or was critically injured. From June 28th to July 1st, Stonewall became a gathering point for LGBTQ activists. They took advantage of the momentum to spread information and build a community that would fuel the growth of a gay rights movement. Police officers returned, but the mood was less confrontational. A year later, the first Pride Parade was held on the anniversary of the riots. The same year, other cities around the globe were inspired by the example New York had set and held similar parades, and then the rest was history. While the gay rights movement didn't begin at Stonewall, the spirit of rebellion spread to the LGBTQ community around the world. This riot marked a turning point as groups like the Gay Liberation Front and the Gay Activists Alliance were created that would go on to champion gay rights and begin a momentum that is still felt to this very day. After the Stonewall riots in 1969, activists across the country made significant advances and secured municipal and state-level protections against discrimination in public employment. Around two dozen states at this point had decriminalized sodomy by 1980, and some activists were talking about the next frontier, legal recognition for marriage. At almost the exact same time, HIV cases started popping up in Los Angeles and New York, And because of that, the LGBTQ civil rights movement faced a reactionary backlash by the moral majority, also known as Republicans. On March 22nd in 1980, about a year before the first countrywide MMWR report on HIV, evangelical Christian leaders sent a petition to then-president Jimmy Carter demanding to halt the advance of gay rights, stating that God's judgment is going to fall on America as on other societies that have allowed homosexuals to become a protected way of life. In 1981, Ronald Reagan took office and he took the side of the moral majority. Activists found their demands for attention for a growing medical crisis were being ignored. In 1982, Larry Speaks, press secretary for Reagan, laughed when asked if the president was tracking the spread of AIDS. The AIDS crisis raged, and due to the far-right leaders in power, the steps forward that queer people had taken were promptly pushed back by the rhetoric used in the media to discuss this ongoing epidemic. It was commonplace to have your friends die. Oftentimes, diagnoses were kept a secret, and there weren't many treatments at the time, so along with you know, the pain of the epidemic came a wave of mental stresses that were completely unbearable for people to handle and were not taken seriously by medical professionals. At the height of the crisis, misinformation was spread around as the general public began to panic about what was actually going on. People were saying you could get AIDS from a toilet seat or simply from touching somebody at a football game. People became afraid of queer folks. And again, queer people had to rely on their family, their queer families, during this time because heterosexuals demonized the community to the point where most of the progress that was made toward acceptance had pretty much been undone. The misinformation still exists today and is being spread around onto not only heterosexual people, but the queer community itself. To be completely clear, HIV spreads when infected blood, semen, or vaginal fluids enter the body. However, it is not spread through holding hands, saliva, sweat, coughing, sneezing, or through urine or feces. If you are undetectable, you are untransmittable. What this means is that if you are taking an antiviral therapy as prescribed by your doctor to suppress the HIV levels in your body, it leads to an undetectable status. While being undetectable doesn't mean that the virus has left your body, it means the virus lies dormant inside of a small number of body cells called viral reservoirs. When you are undetectable, you have absolutely no risk of sexually transmitting the virus to an HIV-negative partner, as long as you are maintaining your medical treatment this hasn't been disputed factually but within the gay community there is a lot of discrimination against hiv positive people uh, so it is still very important that you know we have the information and that we aren't spreading misinformation that's homophobic and that were lies created by heterosexual people to um, you know create division between the lgbtq community and the straight community uh, because It's apparent now that those lies aren't just dividing us and the straight people, it's dividing LGBTQ people and LGBTQ people. So, you know, there's nothing more powerful than having the correct information. And I think on this especially, it's important to educate yourself and know the facts um, so you're not discriminating against your LGBTQ brothers or sisters. In 1996 is when new drug therapies came out that allow people who were affected by the virus to be relieved of their symptoms and to live again. Thanks to the activism in the queer community, the attitude began to shift regarding the virus and the push for equality continued. In current day, there are many therapeutic drugs in clinical trials, and also, as of recently, there's vaccines in clinical trials to help combat the spread of HIV-AIDS. While the battle against this deadly virus is far from over, we have made some solid steps forward— in defeating something that attacked the queer community at a very fragile time. Club Kids were a group of young New York dance club figureheads that were popularized by Michael Alec and James St. James. This group included but was not limited to personalities such as Amanda Lepore, Suzanne Bartsch, Lady Bunny, Richie Rich, and RuPaul Charles. Michael Alec moved to New York City from his hometown South Bend, Indiana in 1984 and began hosting small events in 1987. He supplanted Andy Warhol as the leading New York partier. The club kids were known for their outrageousness, fabulousness, and over-the-top outfits. The gender was fluid and everything was DIY. Alec and his new group grew in influence as more people joined and they moved from the back rooms of lesser known clubs to bigger known clubs in New York City. They eventually went on to run a network of clubs in the city and became promoters for larger events that would draw crowds looking to reject the norm and go against the grain as far as their fashion choices and attitudes went. To draw crowds into these venues, Alec and the club kids began holding guerrilla style outlaw parties. They always showed up fully costumed and ready to party. They would hijack locations like Burger King, McDonald's, various banks, Dunkin' Donuts, and the New York City subway blasting music from a boombox and dancing until the police showed up. These events further cemented the presence of queer culture in New York and the rest of the US, as they ended up touring the country to recruit new members, to throw parties in various cities, and to appear on talk shows. As the 90s began, the front line of the Club Kids was occupied by a younger generation. This is when the general public outside the queer community started noticing them. Prominent music personalities such as Bjork or the band The Sugar Cubes were spotted hanging out with the Club Kids in New York. Fashion brands began to poach them for marketing campaigns and in magazines such as Paper, Max, Project X, and High Times. The movement's decline was marked by an evening on Sunday, March 17th in 1996 when Alec and his roommate Robert Freeze Riggs killed former Limelight employee and reputed drug dealer Andre Melendez. After nine months, Alec and Riggs were arrested and the group disbanded in the mid-1990s. In the 21st century, the Club Kid revolution of the 90s brought us some of the most influential personalities in the queer community. Suzanne Barsh today keeps the Club Kid alive in New York City by hosting parties reminiscent of those in the 90s. These parties draw huge crowds, and everyone sports the Club Kid aesthetic, which is something that stands out quite boldly in a nightlife scene that's dominated by heterosexuals, t-shirts, and jeans. RuPaul Charles, the world's favorite drag queen, was formerly a club kid who ran in the same circles as Amanda Lepore and Suzanne Barsh. RuPaul released a song in 1992 called Supermodel, You Better Work, and that blasted him off in popularity. He appeared in a few movies before launching The RuPaul Show in 1997, which was an American talk show that premiered on VH1 alongside of Michelle Visage, his co-host. Off the back of this success and many different studio albums later, RuPaul began to co-produce and film the show RuPaul's Drag Race. This was the first time that drag had really been brought forward to a large scale audience in this format, and it was a huge step forward for the queer community. The show premiered to a mild success and quickly grew a cult following over the years. The show branched off into various shows such as RuPaul's Drag U, RuPaul's Drag Race All Stars, and recently went international with versions of the mainline show in Australia, the UK, Thailand, Spain, and Holland. Drag Race is now a worldwide phenomenon that helps create a united queer community internationally as LGBTQ people alike shuffle into bars to watch each episode as it airs. The show has also ushered in a new era of drag and drag acceptance around the world as more young LGBTQ people are exposed to the roots of the queer community and where their history came from. So you're back at that gay bar with your friends. You're live tweeting the RuPaul's Drag Race finale and using the language that you've now adopted into your vocabulary. Ballroom culture originated from people of color having to create their own events because white people were segregating them and making them feel less than in an already queer community. People of color have laid the foundation for the LGBTQ community we built whether it was Will Ninja, Pepper LaBeija, Paris Dupree, Marsha P. Johnson, Gladys Bentley, Phil Wilson, or RuPaul Charles, people of color are the backbone of the queer community and much of our culture is passed down from those who first arrived on the ballroom scene. African-American vernacular English is where much of the terms you consider ballroom terms come from. Even further than that, words like woke, cis, basic, lit, snatched, and bay also come from people of color but are often used by white people for social capital without even knowing where the words come from. These words are now so commonplace that they're also even used by corporations on social media because they're seen as trendy and hip problem with that is that people of color have to police their usage of AAV when in job interviews or in social situations, because by some it's seen as improper English. But when white people use it or corporations use it on Twitter, it's seen as hip, trendy, and cool. When non-black people use AAV, it can feed into a culture of appropriation, and this culture continues to take from black people. We can use AAV like a costume, wearing it for its benefits online, but taking it off before we retreat back to our own privilege. We must be aware and not use it for social capital. We mustn't use it to be performative, and we mustn't use it for a commercial or financial gain. Before we indulge in another person's culture for entertainment, it's important that you know the history. RuPaul's Drag Race is not simply just a TV series about makeup, it's a show that has a rich culture that is now used as a great introductory tool for queer people to start learning the culture and history of their own community. We owe so much to those that came before us, and the best way to honor them is to know your history. So the next time you're in a social situation, educate those around you on their past, encourage them to do reading themselves. The privileges that us queer people have in the 21st century aren't just as trivial as RuPaul. They extend to our very own right to be alive. While we have a lot, we have to keep fighting. And the history that we have that I've presented to you today is just for North America. The rest of the world hasn't been so lucky to forge such a strong path forward quite so fast. Even here in North America, we still live in a very racist, transphobic, and homophobic place. So it is my job and your job to educate those around us every day and to never give up that fight in honor of those that laid down the foundation for what we have today. And that's kind of where I'm going to end this off. I hope you guys have learned as much as I have from listening to this. And if you're interested in similar content, I'll be making podcasts like this every other week.